Heavenly Father, thank you this morning for your faithfulness. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, I ask for your anointing. I surrender my lips, my tongue to you this morning. In Jesus' name, let the hearers be blessed. Amen and amen. Praise God. All right. We have been and we will be going through the book of John or the gospel of John verse by verse. And this morning we are up to already up to chapter two. Woohoo! <laughs> Praise God. Chapter two and verse one. And uh, <clears throat> this is uh, really a, a, an interesting passage. We're going to go from verse one to the verse twelve. This is Jesus' first miracle, his first time he does anything significant. He's already been baptized. He's got some followers, and uh, it says three days later. Anybody know what else happened three days later? Remember? After the crucifixion, three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. So here we are, three days after John, Jesus calls his disciples, the first disciples, and there's a wedding. How many know weddings are wonderful things? They're great. They're celebrations. It's supposed to be a happy time. All the hope for the future of the couple that's getting married, the husband and the wife, the man and the woman, they're so in love, you know. <laughs> Nothing else matters. They can hardly contain themselves as they stand before the minister. Praise God. And he makes all these questions, and they make all these promises and vows. Oh, yes, you know, till death do us part. Praise God. And it's a good thing. Can you say amen? So if you're not married this morning, just hang on. Praise God. And just this is also about living for God. I may make several references to my favorite movie, The Princess Bride. Oh, it's all about true love. I tried to refrain myself, but three days later, there's a wedding in Cana of Galilee. By the way, John chapter 21, verse 2 says that this is the hometown of Nathanael, one of the first disciples that was called by Jesus. Did you know that? This is Nathanael's hometown. So Jesus' mother's there. Doesn't say, you know, that she got invited, but apparently she's there and she's helping out. But Jesus and his disciples get invited. Back in 1981, I think it was. No, 1982. I was on the island of Bora Bora in the South Pacific. And my friend and I were staying at a guest house. And the owners of the guest house told us, you know, go down the road here to that big building. They're having a wedding. Go stand outside and they'll invite you in. So, well, okay, that sounds great. So we go and we stand outside and they invite us in total strangers. We're not Tahitians. We're, we're visiting, and they invite us in, and we sit down, and we, we just enjoy ourselves in the company, and it actually was three couples that got married that day, and it was just great, great time. It was a beautiful, beautiful uh, scene there. You know, lots of people. It was happy, happy time. The interesting thing, Matthew Henry, the commentator, says that this takes place in like an obscure corner of Galilee. Jesus uh, had come into Galilee and 
uh, Cana, if you look on the map, is kind of, if, if you look where the Sea of Galilee is over here, Cana is kind of like, uh, I forget how many miles away, but it's up in the northwest corners, kind of it's obscure little town. But I would imagine that the whole town was at this wedding. And the reason I think that is because of the abundance of the water pots that were there for the ritual purification of washing everybody. You have to wash your feet and wash your hands. <clears throat> so there's probably, the, almost the whole town is probably there. And uh, they get invited. <coughs> J.B. Phillips uh, calls it the festivities. It's a happy, joyous time. They're having a wedding. The interesting thing is, in John's Gospel, Jesus' mother is never mentioned by name. She's always referred to as Jesus' mother. <clears throat> Why? I don't know. It doesn't mention Joseph either. Joseph's not in here. Most likely, according to the Jewish annotated New Testament, Joseph had probably passed away by this time. In those days, there were multiple marriages because the life expectancy wasn't very long, and most men were a lot older than their wives, and so they expired sooner. I'm so glad <laughs> that our expiration dates have been moved back quite a bit in modern science. Amen. <laughs> the mother of Jesus, he never mentions her name. Hallelujah, Jesus. Matthew Henry also says, <clears throat> this is interesting, the disciples found out that Jesus had good friends. <laughs> if you look in the Gospels, it says later on in, in the Gospel in time that uh, several prominent and wealthy people, especially women, the wife of King Herod's steward, supported Jesus' ministry out of her own wealth. Think about this. This is the steward. He's the guy in charge of everything that King Herod owns. He's in charge of his investments. He's in charge of his food. He's in charge of everything. And so he's probably very wealthy. And so is his wife. So Jesus has good friends. Can you say amen? It's a good thing to have Jesus as your friend. Hallelujah. It's the hometown of Nathaniel. One of the interesting things about marriage, marriage, as they say in the, the uh, <laughs> I love that movie. A dream within a dream, a blessed arrangement. <laughs> the blessed arrangement. Marriage has been and always should be between one man and one woman. Right now, in the United States House of Representatives, last week they pressed they passed House Resolution 8404 called the Respect for Marriage Act. It has now gone to the U.S. Senate. It's in direct opposition to the Defense of Marriage Act. The Respect for Marriage Act wants everyone in this country to acknowledge homosexual marriages as okay. Well, God says it's not okay. There's no reason for it. So call your congressman, not your congressman, call your senator and tell them to vote no on House Resolution 8404. The reason for marriage, according to the Bible, Malachi chapter 3, verse 15, 
is that God seeks godly offspring. The whole purpose of marriage is not for you to just uh, have a pleasurable experience all your life. The purpose of marriage is to raise a family, a husband, a wife, and children, what's known as the nuclear family. That's God's purpose from the beginning. Can you say amen? It has never changed, and I don't believe God ever will change his mind. That said, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4 says these words, Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but God will judge fornicators and adulterers. Marriage is honorable between a husband and a wife. Let's go on. They are invited to the wedding with his disciples. Verse 3, the wine ran out. Oh, my goodness. Can't have a party without wine. Well, yes, you can. But, <laughs> and I read somewhere that in those days they would boil the wine and it would evaporate the alcohol so the water wasn't very good to drink, I guess. Anyway, the wine ran out. Another, in the King James, it says, when they wanted wine, the Amplified said, all gone. <laughs> so Jesus' mother comes up and says, they have no wine. And Jesus, <clears throat> according to Jameson Fawcett in Brown's commentary, she's expecting Jesus to do something about it. Well, what am I supposed to do? Woman, he tells her, woman. Listen, when he says woman, this is not a sign of disrespect, as some people would think. I was working with a, a guy one time, and, and uh, I guess I was complaining about my wife. And he tells her, don't do that. He tells me, just tell her, woman, do this or that. <laughs> and without thinking, one day, one afternoon, I came home from work, and she said something, and I said, woman? And she said, what did you call me? <laughs> I'm sorry. I, wait, wait, wait. This, however, is a sign of respect. Dear woman is what it literally means, according to Matthew Henry's commentary. It's used to introduce a revelation. Remember, Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and she says, this, that, and the other thing, and the argument's going on, and, and he tells her, woman, believe me, the hour has now is coming, and now is, when we will no longer worship at Jerusalem or at this mountain, but God will be worshiped in spirit and in truth. He's going to give everyone a revelation here. What does this have to do with me? He says, my hour has not yet come. He's referring specifically to his passion, to his suffering. By the way, did you know that the word sacrifice comes from the word that means passion also? Get out your dictionary when you go home and look it up. <laughs> sacrifice and passion. The passion of the Christ. It means the sacrifice that he put his whole self into. Hallelujah. There was a need. Dear woman, he's going to introduce a revelation. At a marriage, Jesus made his first public appearance. The miracle 
This is interesting to me. The miracle did not make something bad good. Water is not bad. The miracle of salvation, the miracle of the gospel, the miracle of Jesus is that he made something good better. Amen? So, what that means for you and me is that when before we got saved, when Jesus died on the cross for us, He saw in us there was something valuable, something good, something that was desirable to Him so much so that He gave up His whole life. He gave His life for us so that He could make what was good better. Hallelujah. Jesus encourages festivity. This afternoon we're going to go eat. We're going to festively eat. We're going to sit down and have a meal together. Praise God. Jesus does not encourage us to go and hide away in a monastery somewhere and not talk to anybody. There's an old joke about this guy. He decides he's going to become a monk. No talking allowed. So every 10 years they come in, sits down with the big chief there, and uh, says, well, how do you like it so far? Food's lousy. Okay, I'll go back for another 10 years. Comes back 10 years later. Well, how do you like it now? The bed's too hard and it's cold. Okay, go back and do your next 10 years. Comes back and then the last 10 years, 30 years later, says, well, what do you think now? I want to leave. Well, all you've been doing is complaining (laughs) for the last 30 years. (laughs) That's not what Jesus called us to do, to be self-centered and, 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 and enclosed, you know, and, and cut off from everyone else. Jesus has called us to have a heart of compassion, and he'll supply that compassion for us. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. The mother, the other thing is that the mother of Jesus has no authority over him. Jesus doesn't say, oh, yes, whatever you say, I'll do. That's why I was raised as a Catholic, And if you were raised as a Catholic, you know the Hail Mary. Holy Mother, the Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. She can't help us. She didn't die for our sins. In fact, the Bible says that she brought a sin offering after she gave birth to her firstborn, not her only son. In any event, let's move on. So this is a potentially embarrassing situation for the bridegroom. He's obviously, I don't know if the... uh, in those days, if the, the father of the bride paid for everything like they do today, <clears throat> or if the, the, the bridegroom had to pay for everything, you know, and, and uh, there's a, a story I heard many years ago. Uh, there was a young woman who uh, hadn't got married yet, and a young man came along, and in order to marry this young woman, he had to present a dowry. And he valued this young lady so much. Normally, you'd give one or two cows to the family. He gave seven cows for the young lady because he wanted her so badly. Hallelujah. He loved her so much. So this is a potentially embarrassing situation. They ran out of wine. The other thing is, Jesus, in one version, says, Why do you involve me? Listen, Mary, the mother of Jesus, she's concerned about the people at the wedding. That's why she comes and tells Jesus, hey, uh, they ran out. And, 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 but Jesus 
doesn't show any favoritism. Thank God, no one's more special than anyone else in the kingdom of heaven. Can you say amen? We're all on equal terms. It's a level playing field at the cross. Hallelujah. The Amplified Bible, Jesus says, leave it to me. I'll take care of it. My hour has not come, hinting that he would do something, but in his own time, according to Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown's commentary. The other thing I wanted to mention about uh, the use of the word woman in John chapter 20, or chapter 19, verse 26 on the cross, Jesus says to the disciple, woman, here is your son. Gave her a revelation. In John chapter 20, verse 13, the angels, Mary Magdalene looks into the tomb and she's weeping because she thought someone stole Jesus' body and there's angels in there and they ask her, why are you weeping? And she goes outside still weeping and she sees Jesus but doesn't recognize him and Jesus gives her revelation in verse 15. Woman, why are you weeping? Who are you looking for? He doesn't ask her, what are you looking for? He says, who are you looking for? Because he had risen from the dead. She was trying to find out who took the body. <laughs> There's Jesus. She thought he was the gardener. <laughs> Cracks me up. Well, if he took him, where'd he go? And she calls, he calls her name Mary. Thank God that Jesus called your name. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's go on. Her response. Whoops, I was already there. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to them, have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour is not you, Kim. And his mother gives him really good advice. Do whatever he tells you. That's good advice. Can you say amen? If you want to know what to do, do what Jesus tells you. Hallelujah. So Jesus, she has an expectation that he's going to do something. Jesus surveys the situation, and he notices, ha, ha, there's six stone water pots here, and they each hold 20 or 30 gallons. So that's what? Six times 20 is 120 gallons, or if it's 30 gallons, it's 180 gallons. That's a lot of liquid. Can you imagine? Hallelujah. Jesus gives three commands. Fill the jars with water. Now, draw some out. Take it to the master of the feast. Notice he didn't say, taste it, you guys taste it. I thought that was interesting that they didn't. And by the way, these servants, that's the Greek word diakonos, it generally means an attendant at a table or a waiter. So these are the waiters. He says, take it to the master of the feast. Don't. And he didn't have to tell them, don't tell them where it came from. They just, they take it. Praise God. And they obey. It's always good to obey Jesus. Can you say amen? Glory to God. Most times when you go to a wedding, you're supposed to bring a gift. Right? <laughs> so, Jesus is already at the wedding. He gives them a gift of 120 to 180 gallons of good, good wine. Very tasty. Very good. It's a genuine miracle. Many years ago, I had a book. Uh, I couldn't find it. I looked in my library. I can't find it. Dr. Richard Eby was a dentist. He died and went to heaven. He wrote a book called My Time in Heaven. 
But he wrote in there, early in his life, when he was a young boy, his dad was working for General Electric Company. Uh, in 1939, there was a World's Fair. The General Electric Company was able to generate electricity of a million volts to make man-made lightning bolts. However, before they were able to do that, every time they tried to do it, the insulators blew up. So they were frustrated beyond belief. Dr. Eby's dad was in charge of the project. One day, he says his dad came to the dinner table with a different look on his face. God gave me the answer. He gave everybody in the department time off. Go on a vacation. When you come back, tell me where you went. One of the engineers had gone to Egypt. And while he was there, he managed to bribe one of the people there, and he bought a stone water pot. And Dr. Eby's dad said, analyze that. Find out what it's made out of. That's what our insulators are made out of. And he said he figured because that's how much power that, that Jesus, he didn't even touch anything. All he did was say, fill him with the water. And boom, nothing spectacular happened. But Dr. Eby's dad figured it must have been quite an exciting and powerful thing that happened in those stone water pots. And if those stone water pots could withstand that power, that's what we need to make our insulators out of. Something happened, but it was kind of quiet. Jesus just tells him, take some out and go have the guy taste it. It's a genuine miracle. Jesus gives them a gift, basically. Here's your wedding gift, guys. I know you ran out. This will save you from embarrassment. Hallelujah. It shows that Jesus came into the world to improve and comfort us, to improve our lives. Before I became a Christian, before I got saved on Thanksgiving Day 1981, I was an alcoholic. I was drinking on the job. I was drinking by myself. I was drinking every day. I was having blackouts. I had no idea how I got home sometimes. But when Jesus saved me, he set me free completely. There has been times since then where I've wanted to go and, and, and I could almost taste beer because I was raised drinking beer with dinner and wine with our dinner. But I know that that's not for me anymore. Praise God, I was set free. Jesus is able to make all grace abound toward you so that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Six stone water pots. Jesus made what was good better. There was an abundance. That's the kingdom of heaven. Amen? Praise God. They took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water now and become wine and did not know where it came from, Though the servants who had drawn the wine knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. Anybody remember in the book of Revelation what Jesus is known as? He's the bridegroom. This is an allusion, I believe, to the kingdom of heaven's final, final, final culminating experience for every believer. 
We're going to be united completely with Jesus. We're going to see Jesus face to face. It's going to be a joyous occasion beyond your wildest imaginations. Talk about a festivity. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. The master of the feast. Matthew Henry's commentary says some Bible scholars believe that the master of the feast, not only was he the MC, so to speak, he may have been either a priest or a Levite also. He may have been the officiating individual who performed the wedding ceremony for this couple. Hallelujah. It was a common practice in those days to give out the good wine first and then the poor wine later. Notice that sin is kind of like that. It captures a person and it's satisfying for a while and then after a while it's not quite as satisfying it's not quite as good hallelujah luke chapter 21 verse 34 jesus said watch yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this world it's a good thing not to get drunk it's a good thing in fact the bible tells us to be sober Amen? Stay sober. Everyone serves the good wine. And then in verse 11, it says these words. This, the first of his signs. The book of John's got signs in it. This, um, in the King James, is called a, a miracle. A sign of divine authority, according to Vine's dictionary. It's a token of God's power and love. And it was also to display and confirm Jesus' identity. Jesus is God, come in the flesh. Jesus has authority over nature. He can change things. Hallelujah. He can change situations. He can change people's lives. He can change people's attitudes. He can change situations. No matter what you're going through, Jesus can change anything. Hallelujah. He's the healer. Hallelujah. He's the supplier of all of our needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He's worth getting excited about. Amen. It always cracks me up to watch people at sporting events go nuts. Oh, they scored a goal. Woo-hoo! And then people go crazy. He just scored a goal. It's just a game. Jesus rose from the dead. Praise God. He proved himself to be the Son of God by performing this sign. This miracle or this sign, all the signs that Jesus did were a mark of identification to distinguish him from other people. There is no other way to have a right relationship with God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. All the religions of the world is just people trying to reach God. Jesus is God himself coming down to reach us. Can you say amen? The result of him proving himself or demonstrating or confirming his identity is that the disciples believed in him. This is, I mean, I don't know about you, but if you've ever seen a miracle, if you've ever seen God touch somebody, it's awesome. It's exciting. One time, many, many years ago, I was preaching in a small church, 
And at the beginning of the service, I asked if anybody had any prayer requests. And this woman in the front, she says, <clears throat> she raised her hand, yeah, I want to pray for my neighbor. But that's not what I heard. That's what she said. But what I heard is that her sinuses were bothering her. So at the end of the service, we're all done and we're getting ready to close. And I looked at her and I pointed at her and I said, did you say your sinuses bother you? And she got so surprised. And she said, well, yes, they do. I said, well, come up here. Let me pray for you. God will heal you. Is that your husband? Come up here. Lay hands. She said, as soon as we laid hands on her, her sinuses cleared up just like that. Praise God. God is good. Can you say amen? If you need anything, God is able to supply all of your needs according to his riches. God is super, super rich. More than the billion dollar lottery. <laughs> Praise God. Super, super rich. Hallelujah. The disciples believed in him. Their faith was strengthened because they saw God move. If you're ever going through a hard time and it seems like God is nowhere around, I want to tell you this morning, just be patient and wait on God because you will eventually see God's hand moving and ministering. The other day I was so discouraged. Things aren't going very well. And somebody called out of the blue said, how are you doing? And this person shouldn't be calling on a regular basis and I hardly ever see them. But they called just to say hi, just to see if I needed anything because they had heard that I had uh, got COVID a week before. And it encouraged me, it blessed me to know that somebody cares, that God moved on somebody's heart to reach out. I want to encourage you saints, reach out to people. God will bless you for it. God will bless them. Hallelujah. And when you see God's hand move, your faith should be strengthened. Amen. Praise God. <clears throat> and we'll close with this because my voice has started to go. Verse 12. After this, he went downhill to Capernaum. Capernaum's about 700 feet above, below sea level or below uh, uh, Cana of Galilee. So he went downhill Capernaum is on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. And he went down there, and they stayed for a few days because in verse 13, the Passover was coming up. But he went down to Capernaum. Matthew chapter 9, verse 1 says this. It calls him, calls it his own town. In Mark chapter 2, verse 1, it says, here in Capernaum, he was at home. He made it his Headquarters, And by the way, Mark chapter 2 and Matthew chapter 9, this is the place where the men went up on the roof and the four men pulled the roof apart and lowered the paralytic down and his hometown. Capernaum, his headquarters for quite some time. That is just... Did you know he was supposed to be from Nazareth? But Capernaum, they said, is his hometown with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples. The whole group went. At this point in time, it doesn't say whether or not his mother and brothers and the rest of his family believed in him, but eventually they did. <clears throat> he was at home. 
came to his own town. When I first drove into Tucson, I felt like, man, I really feel like this is my hometown. Remember when you were a kid and you went somewhere and dad's driving home? Ah, we're going home. Know that feeling? That's what happened when I first came to Tucson because I believe this is where God wants me for now. And I've been here since, um, well, I came back from the South Pacific in 1983, and then I started serving God again. And this is where I believe God has got me to serve him for now. Never know what God will do, but I'm in my hometown, even though Moran is a suburb of Tucson, that's okay. We're still part of the metropolitan area. Well, with that, <clears throat> I hope your faith is strengthened this morning. Jesus can do anything. If you're not married, relax. <clears throat> Just wait. Wait on God. If you are married, marriage is God's idea in the first place. If you're married, love your spouse do all you can. <clears throat> I'll close with a uh, Jewish joke. <clears throat> this young man's about to get married in the synagogue. So one of the other guys comes up to him and says, hey, you know, <clears throat> just want to let you know, the first eight years of marriage are really rough. Said, really? Yeah, yeah, but, but hang in there. Well, what happens after eight years? The guy says, I don't know, I've only been married eight years. <laughs> Not true, it's just a joke. Marriage is honorable in all, and if God will help you, God will bless you. Let's uh, stand to our feet this morning. <clears throat>